You are listening to Changing Careers, a podcast about how MBA careers are changing and how MBAs change their careers. I am Conrad Chua. As many of you know, I work at the Judge Business School in the University of Cambridge. Each year, we set aside one week in the MBA calendar to focus on projects and careers. We invite some of our external consultants based outside the UK to come in and spend time with our students. On the last episode, we heard from Jen Murphy, an experienced careers professional who has worked with students in many schools in the US and most recently with Ohio University. Today, we have another external consultant, John Kwan, who has flown in from Singapore, where he's based. He spoke to our students about the job search in Asia, the power of informational interviews, and using design thinking in your career. First, John introduces himself. Uh, sure. Uh, my name is John. Uh, originally from Canada, born and raised, but uh, for the last 12 years, I've been living in Singapore. Uh, my background is in the consulting space, and today I call myself a career coach, where I work specifically with young people, I kind of say, but I define that quite broadly, like the under 40 crowd. So usually undergraduates, MBAs, PhDs, and maybe professional zero to 15, 20 years of experience. These are the people that I work with every day to try to help them get quicker, higher, faster to where they want to go. John, you yourself made a career transition from um, working in Canada to Singapore and, and, and now uh, advising people about job search in, in Asia and Southeast Asia in particular. Um, you speak to our students about how to approach a job search in Southeast Asia. So what's your advice to MBAs who are interested in a, jo- a job in Southeast Asia but are studying in a business school outside that region? Yeah, great question. I mean, uh, let's start with the basics. The homework is probably one of the most important things. And I would tell you today, in the age of too much information and social media where everything's really quick and people are expecting fast things, I actually think doing your homework is a bit of a lost art. So the first uh, piece of advice is always make sure you do your homework deeply because the more you know and the more you can research, once you decide to make that transition in there, um, people will feel that you really want to be here versus you're just trying things out. I mean, Asia and especially Southeast Asia is hot now. Everybody knows this now. Everybody's looking at this part, whether it's the weather, the English, the stability. So if you're only just pretending and just want to try it out, you aren't going to make it. What should people be doing in terms of doing the homework? Is it understanding or figuring out which countries they want to work for uh, or what companies? Yeah, I think everything. I mean, I would start with some of the, the motivational part and certainly in terms of cultural aspect, like Southeast Asia is very diverse and Asia broadly is very diverse. So do you know the differences between the different countries and cities? What's it like to actually even work there, the pros and the cons? And in my term, I always say you need to know the good, the bad, and the ugly of all your choices until you can make the right choice for you. So I think there's certainly personal aspects, then the professional aspects. Most students look at it the other way around. They always ask me, what are the hot industries? What are people hiring for? And then they try to fit themselves into that. But generally speaking, unless you have that exact background, um, it's going to be very challenging because in Asia, we're a little conservative in that, right? We want people who've been there and done that, right? So if you work on it in a backwards term, I think it's a little more dangerous than if you started maybe from bottom up from from you and, and go out that way. We'll talk a bit about this thing of trying to shoehorn or fit yourself into an existing role later. But um, one thing which people always talk about when trying to make that career transition is obviously 
since they don't have that background, how to get more information and do the homework. And you run a session for students on informational interviews. What is informational interviews and why should people use it? Yeah, informational interviews is kind of the technical career term we use, but the more casual term that lots of people know this is, is doing the coffee chat. And basically the premise there is if you don't know a lot of information, the best way to get that is to talk to people who are either doing the job today or maybe people who used to do the job. I would suggest you get a whole spectrum and inviting these people to sit down with you in a casual conversation to kind of learn more. The problem there is though a lot of people in maybe the more Western world have known about this technique and they see it slightly differently. Many smart students see it as an opportunity to sit down with influential hiring managers to maybe try to impress them, to kiss their butt a little bit if I can say that, because they hope that if they can sit down with the hiring manager and ask some smart questions, then at the end of the chat, the hiring manager will be like, oh, well, are you interested in a job? And then it will magically appear. That will never work. So if you understand that coffee chats are a tool to learn more, and you can believe that, say that, and exude that, then actually, surprisingly, people will want to sit down with you and share. But if they get any feeling that you're just trying to be cheeky and smart and will eventually pitch me, then this will certainly not work. And I will tell you, in the Western world, coffee chats aren't very effective anymore because that's what smart Westerners do. But in my part of the world now in Asia, coffee chats are still a little bit new and can still work because the concept of someone in Asia reaching out to someone they don't know and asking them for a chit-chat, it, it's not so easy to digest. Some will find that actually a little intimidating. But if you can get over that fact and do it in an authentic manner, actually, surprisingly, people will, will want to sit down with you. It's kind of built in the DNA of the culture of seniors wanting to help juniors. So you already have that advantage in Asia. But the thing you need to be careful of, nobody wants to be spoon-fed. So if you just go to these people and say, hey, I want to learn, but I don't know much, please tell me, that probably won't be very effective for you. So are you, um, you're suggesting to look at people through LinkedIn, for example, do some research on, uh, firstly, which countries that you want to go to, what companies that you're interested in, and then use something like LinkedIn to figure out, okay, these are some targets. Some of them I already know in my, in my network, reach out to them, arrange a time. Is that right? Yeah, I think you use LinkedIn is so powerful now from the research angle because it can kind of instantly tell you who are the types of people you would love to talk to. But then once you find them, I would suggest you go backwards and say, okay, if I don't know this person, how could I get them through maybe an intermediary? Because if you try to reach out to them directly, the cold email, the cold request, the chance of that happening is slim to none. So you can use LinkedIn to find the end goal. And then I would start close to you and start by moving out one step further. Say, okay, look, I eventually want to talk to people doing these kind of things. Do I know even anybody in that country or in that industry or doing that function? And let's start with that, someone who already knows you. And with that, then they can send you to the next person, the next person. And actually, the world is actually much smaller today than ever before. It's not that many hoops that you have to jump through before you can probably reach the original people that you saw on LinkedIn. But most people try to go direct because it's more efficient, right? But actually, it's, it's not effective. So as someone goes through the process of uh, informational interviews, as you say, step-by-step, step, working, working their way up, do you suggest that they go back to people that they've spoken to before as well, whether to get more information or to keep, uh, keep that contact going? Definitely, definitely. I mean, as you are trying to reach out and widen the types of people you talk to, at the same time, you want to probably be deepening the relationships with some of the people you've talked to at first. 
It's most likely the first time you sit down with someone. You'll get some information, but not everything. A, because time is limited, and B, you don't necessarily have that trust factor where they can really open up to you. Especially when we're talking about the opposite side, the bad and the ugly, which is always the trickier part to find out. I mean, the good anybody will talk to you about. But in order to make the right choice for you, you want to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the reason why that's so important is once you know the full spectrum and you still want to go down these paths, those are the types of people that companies want to hire. It's the attitude and the motivation today that will really separate you. Not the skills, not the abilities, not even the degree. There are a lot of people with these degrees and there are a lot of good schools. And we generally teach similar types of things. But that deep motivation, both the positive, but you understand the challenges, that's when it's going to keep recruiters to go, you know what? Okay, you're not just a naive MBA that's trying to make a transition that only knows the positives. You know, you know where it can get tricky, which means that when it gets tricky, you won't run. But these days, the younger generation, when they see a little adversity, maybe it's the YOLO, employers are really worried about that. So that's why we want to really dig in and follow up with your contacts. Because as you meet them more and more, they'll start to spill more and more, especially the good stuff. So what's your advice to MBA students like, as in, when should they start doing these informational interviews? As soon as possible. As soon as possible. Because the later you wait, the less authentic your pitch will be. I mean, the pitch should be, and it's not just the pitch, it's what you should believe, is that you really want to learn more. But if you start reaching out to people months before graduation, you say, hey, you really want to learn more, and they say, well, where are you in the process? You're like, well, I'm about to graduate. Then we know it's fake, right? You're saying you want to learn more, but actually you're desperate. You need a job. You're going to be pitching me. And right away, people are going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy. But if you start right at the beginning and someone says, well, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, I'm, I just started. Oh, you just started? You've got like another year? Oh, and people get much more relaxed because they realize you're not actually needing anything. I mean, you can't even get a job now, even if you wanted to. So that keeps people much more relaxed. Your motivation is more pure, authentic, and then people want to meet you. So you spoke earlier about um, not trying to pigeonhole yourself into an existing structure. And you've got a session with students called, uh, using, where you use design thinking and adapt that to their careers. Can you talk a bit more about how that works? Yeah, um, design thinking is something that's been around quite a bit and it's obviously gotten a lot of attention recently, this human-centric way to solve problems. And the, the guys at Stanford have been some of the pioneers at the D School there talking about this. Most people learn design thinking as a way to develop new products or services. But at Stanford, over time, they've realized that not only can you do it for new products and services, you could apply it to yourself. Thinking about you, your career as a product or a service, and applying the same methodology, the process, and most importantly, the mindset of being experiential, biased to action, and not just sitting and thinking, right? And being very collaborative with this to help you come up with you know, a future career that you want versus looking at what's out there and then trying to find transferable skills and then, you know, kind of trying to fit that square peg into that round hole where you got to chip away a little bit here, chip a little there to just fit that thing. Why not design the hole to fit perfectly for you? That's the concept. And uh, it's getting a lot of traction these days. And it's quite exciting, actually. I mean, you you mentioned earlier that in Asia, in Southeast Asia, it tends to be a bit more conservative. People want, you know, the on the recruiting side, they want to see that you tick all the boxes. So how does that kind of design thinking approach work in a situation like this where maybe the company is very 
fixed, has very certain sort of structure, and can't really adapt to every individual? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the reason why I think design thinking could be really useful is although the recruiters have this kind of very fixed risk-adverse mindset, I want someone there who's been there and done that versus someone who wants to do that or has the potential to do that. Well, the reality is you're going to find less and less of those people down the road because people these days don't see themselves in just one job, one function, one career their entire life. The younger generations will have a varied background. And I also think that some of these roles that they're looking for, these traditional roles, they will be altered significantly with all this technology we're talking about. This is the whole future of work, right? Every single job will be affected in some way, some a lot. People are talking about things like lawyers and accountants being affected quite a bit and that changing quite a bit, and some a little bit. So if today you're a recruiter just looking for traditional metrics to fit these jobs, you're going to be in trouble because that job will be changing really fast. And you're going to find someone that has all the old things that probably can't adapt to the new world. So I think using design thinking and really building from the bottom from who you are and outwards and something that can fit everything that you want and you're good at, that's the kind of stuff that maybe the future looking, the ones that are a little more strategic can be open-minded to, to now. But I would tell you everybody in a short, my guess, five years will have no choice but to adapt to that. Because again, the environment is changing. The robots aren't coming down the road. They're already here. A story I tell uh, some of the students is from the last time I visited in 2017. I visited with an old friend of mine when we were working here in the UK. He's now a partner at a big four consultancy. Yeah, he leads their transaction advisory M&A practice. And he told me in 2017 that we're not hiring any more graduates anymore, John. Yeah, write that down. No undergraduates, no MBAs. And I was like, oh, tell me more. He said, yeah, we're using IBM Watson to do all the stuff that those guys would do, the supercomputers. Because in his world, the stuff that usually fresh graduates do, both undergraduates and MBAs, is usually that due diligence process, going into clean rooms, analyzing data, and then spinning out some reports. But since they do it in a very formulaic way, I mean, that means they can tell the robot to do that kind of stuff. So now he needs none of that. But he needs new kinds of people instead, because the supercomputer can produce way more data and way more reports than a human can in a fraction amount of time. But he needs people that have the experience to translate that data into a story, to tell the client at the end of the day what should be the fair value, what are the risks, and all that. We can't just give the raw data to the client and say, hey, our job is done. But now you can see he has a bit of a chicken and the egg problem. right? In order to find people that have experience to interpret, you kind of need to have had that experience from the ground up. But he's not hiring for that. So industry is changing very, very fast. Today, he's ahead of the curve. He can poach people from other firms and kind of build his practice. But once everybody starts using these bots, then we're going to have a bit of a massive void. So I think with that in mind, and you try to build from you know, your core out, you're going to stay ahead of the curve. You won't be affected as significantly by some of these kind of bots. Right? And with the right employers, right? the ones that are a little more forward thinking, you can attract them now, but certainly for maybe the next move, be on the MBA two years, three years out, you'll be much better placed. So you keep talking about building from the core out. What, what is the core? Yeah, I mean, I think it's from who you are, your essence, right? Like your values, your beliefs, your skills and abilities, right? I mean, obviously, the jobs that you want to go to, the careers that you want to focus on is where you can find the overlap between skills and abilities and passion and interests. You want to find those intersections. 
But I think the last circle that doesn't get as much attention is the motivation, the, the why. Why do you want to do this? And I think the only way to build a deep motivation on the why is to really be informed, knowing the good, the bad, and the ugly about your choices. And then when you go and express that to an employer, that's when the veterans will go, okay, you're not just some young, smart, ambitious person that wants to try this. You really kind of know what's going on here. Okay, you've got the right mindset. You know the good times, but you know where it can be tricky. You know what? Why don't we bring you in? Because we can work with you. Versus someone, again, who has this naive view of what the industry is like, this glorified view, and maybe they don't realize that once they get inside, it can get a little tricky. Because again, the younger generation this day may not want to suck it up as maybe my generation, the X's. I mean, life's short, right? Why would I sit here for this kind of amount of time? Let me move on. And employers, again, have been burnt by that a lot. So I think, again, if you start from the skills and abilities, passion, interests, and get out there and do your homework, right? maybe using design thinking, maybe using other tools, once you can build that deep motivation, that really speaks to hiring managers. I mean, in this world where everything's getting automated, so what is it for employers? I mean, how, can, how do you think employers can change the way they develop people? Because it costs so much to have to bring in someone new, um, onboard them, etc. And if you've got somebody who's already good, but doing a job that could be automated, how do you develop them? Yeah, I think that's a tricky question, Conrad. I mean, I don't have the exact answer, but what I do know is there'll be lots of new ways of working that will be developed that companies need to probably look at incorporating into their mix. So today, most companies have traditional full-time employees that are there kind of for life and perpetuity. That's kind of the arrangement. And some companies obviously have some part-time workers, contract workers that are there, you know, here and there. But as we look more forward, how much are you integrating gig workers into this kind of stuff, freelancers? And a concept that I'm very bullish on today that's a little new, um, well, I mean, been around, but I think new to especially Asia, is this concept of portfolio career workers. People who don't see themselves just doing one job and being able to do one ability, but might have a range of abilities where maybe one job can't satisfy that, so they could have a portfolio. Today, the classic example of portfolio is someone who has a day job with company X doing A, B, C. And then maybe in the evening, they've got an evening thing where they're doing D, E, F. And then the weekend, they might have a side thing doing GHI because they believe they have the abilities and interests that are quite wide. And they can't find one person that let them do all that. But what about new age models in the future where maybe you have employee A, where you work Monday and Tuesday doing A, B, C, and then employee B... Wednesday and Thursday where you're doing DEF, and then maybe you have another employer, maybe yourself on the weekends, on Fridays where you're doing GHI. This is the concept portfolio careers that I'm very bullish about, and it's already slowly starting to happen. So employers start to mix, yeah, their, you know, types of ways of working. I think there, there could be a bit of an answer because if you just think of it as a fix, how am I going to retain, how am I going to train, the ROI, you're going to realize that's a very tricky argument to win. So maybe we have to allow for this. And actually, from a candidate perspective, from an employee perspective, many even want to operate this way. I mean, the fact that you are defined by a single ability, a skill, it's a bit of an old school, you know, belief, right? People are multidimensional. 
They have multiple interests and they evolve, right? What you might have liked in your 20s might be very different than what you were at the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. So employers need to, I think, be more open-minded as they look at their people. Not, you used to do X, so therefore you can only do X, right? And maybe that way we can still survive a little. And I guess that message really resonates with MBAs who almost by definition are looking for a career transition. Mm, For sure. I mean, they're good at something but they realize that they could be better and that's why they want to come here to kind of unlock that potential, take it to the next step, right? And if employers start to realize that and can work with that, I think they can even get more, more value. So as we wrap up, John, is there anything that you want to share with listeners that we haven't covered already? Well, look, if I talk about Southeast Asia, a region that's super hot right now, what I would love for people to know is that you need to go beyond the headlines, right? Yes, economically, there's some interesting moves. Politically, there are some interesting moves here. But if you really want to come, dig below, right? Below the headlines, get to find out what's really going on. Again, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because once you do that and you start talking to people, they're going to think that your interest is more genuine. You're not just here because of economic opportunities or it's good for your lifestyle right now. You're doing it for the whole package. You really want to be here. And today... You know, with some of the protectionism that's happening and this kind of anti-globalization, which, you know, we're not going to go back to the old days. I mean, I think that genie is out of the bottle, right? Yeah. If you really want to make that transition, you've got to be really deep with that kind of stuff. And, and people will appreciate that. So, John, how can people reach out, contact you or learn more about what you do? Sure. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, J-O-N-K-W-A-N, and quantumleap.sg is where you can find me on the internet. And again, uh, I, I don't Quantum hide. Leap is spelled... K-W-A-N-T-U-M-L-E-A-P. That was John Kwan, whom we are really fortunate to have over from Singapore to speak to our students. There was a lot of good advice there about how to demonstrate your motivation to work in Asia, how to use informational interviews, and what design thinking could do to help you make a career switch. You can listen to this show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, subscribe if you've not done so. And if you've already subscribed, thank you so much. Just please share this with someone you know who would benefit from listening. You could also leave a rating and review. It helps others discover this show. Till next time, this is Conrad Chua on Changing Careers. 